Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and today we're going to head on into Jacob chapters 2 through 4. Well, I'm sure like most of you, if you are in 2020 listening to this, we have headed into COVID-19 territory, and we have all been suspended from gatherings. So hopefully you're taking time to do your scripture study and meet with your family and close friends if you can, and support each other. I know I've had a great outpouring of support and love from neighbors and family. And so thank you, everybody. But today, let's jump into Jacob 2 through 4. It's an interesting set of sermons, and I think it really comes in two parts. So let's jump over there today and find out what has Jacob so very concerned and very upset. First, as we talked about last time, Jacob is teaching uh, the people, and his book takes, it's kind of like you're dabbing your foot in the pond every so once in a while through Jacob's um, career. So you just kind of take a small dab, read a little bit, and then there's time goes on and then there's another dab. And so in Jacob 1 through 4, you'll see that. I was going to jump over to Jacob 2 since we covered a little bit of Jacob 1 in the All About section. But since we're just getting these small tidbits, there's a sermon here in Jacob 2 and 3 that I think is really powerful and strong and has some kind of confusing things going on. So I thought, let's cover that and see <coughs> if we can apply anything. First, what's going on? In this sermon, he is he's going to say that after Nephi has died, Jacob's going to take a minute to write a few things. And he talks about how hard it is. And so I think that's why you see these dabs or these little tidbits that are saved. Jacob doesn't write a lot. We also know that the plates aren't very big. And so you see at the time of Omni, he passes off the plates, then it isn't because uh, there's no um, a family member from Amalekai that's going to pass it on, but it's because they're full. So they, they can't be very big, and so it, it seems to be not only are they difficult, but they're short, um, and so they, they don't tend to have this long, drawn-out detail, but really highlights, and Jacob really sticks to that. As part of this, then, is this sermon that after Nephi had died, Jacob gives. And so in Jacob 2, he tells us, And now, my beloved brethren, I, Jacob, according to the responsibility which I am under to God, to magnify in mine office with soberness, that I might rid my garments of your sins, I come up into the temple this day, that I might declare unto you the word of God. So this is... Right out of the bat, you say, wow, this is different. He is going to come to condemn his purpose of the sermons. This is spoken. Uh, should be, it, it's probably a good idea to listen to it. So read it out loud and get that idea. But he's coming to condemn. So he's indicating that he gives it because of his responsibility. And he also makes it clear these aren't his words. They are God's. Also, 
his second purpose, so he's going to condemn as his first, and his second is he's going to say that he is has to rid his garments of the people's sin. So he's placing himself in a different category than his audience. He's saying, I'm coming to condemn you, but I am not under this condemnation, but he feels it very closely. So um, he's fulfilling, fulfilling a commandment, but he's making sure we know he's separate. He talks about coming up into the temple uh, and we know if you watch the video, they do a good job with this show where he's up on a, a little bit of a raised platform speaking down to them. And probably at this time, which is pretty typical of um, most small cities, is that there are a couple of larger buildings. One would be the religious building, like the temple, and the second would be some kind of state building, like the king's palace or some kind of official like that. So he is up at the temple. So he is coming from there. And it is kind of raised, and so that makes sense. In Jerusalem, they'll say the same going up into Jerusalem, even if you're going south or whatever direction you're going, because it's up on the hill, and also kind of the center. So Jacob uses that same terminology. Um, in 3 and 4, let's see what he wants to talk about. He says, And ye yourselves know that I have hitherto been diligent in the office of my calling, but I this day am weighed down with much more desire and anxiety for the welfare of your souls than I hitherto have been, hitherto been, I have hitherto been. For behold, as yet ye have been obedient unto the word of God, which I have given you. So Jacob is still setting the stage. He's contrasting himself with the audience, right? His diligence versus their disobedience. And he's reminding them that he has um, spoken to them before, right? I have been diligent in my calling before. But behold, hearken ye unto me. And know that by the help of the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth, I can tell you concerning your thoughts, how that ye are beginning to labor in sin, which sin appeareth very abominable unto me, yea, and abominable unto God. So Jacob is making quite a brave and strong declaration here. He's saying that uh, God has revealed his audience's thoughts, um, and despite their sinful actions they haven't all engaged in those sinful actions he's talking to them about their thoughts and their intents so the beginning of a corrupting of the heart that they're starting to consider this change in behavior that something is starting to to pivot the nephite society and jacob is very concerned about it and he says i can the lord has told me what your thoughts are and how you're beginning to do these things and he says they are bad so he is going to boy he's going to correct this right away so it is interesting here, a couple of doctrinal takeaways. The Lord can reveal the thoughts and intents of our hearts, but also it is the thoughts that then drive our hearts, that the thought, things that we internalize and think about become our intentions, become our uh, change of heart. And so we, we should be mindful of that. We should be very careful of that. We should cautious of what we let ruminate in our minds because it starts to change how we believe and feel and are. So he's, he's saying that, that, that there is something being accepted that's, um, that's bad news. Verse six, yea, grieveth my soul and causeth me to shrink with shame before the presence of my maker that I must testify to you concerning the wickedness of your hearts. For Jacob, I just love Jacob as we talked about last time. He's so expressive and emotive. And he's like, I, it causes my soul to shrink with shame before my maker. He's a representative of his people. And he just is just, it's so shameful, the wickedness of these things. 
we can sense this isn't just something that's like, eh, you know, stop doing it. It's, this is really a big deal. And so stay away. So as we listen to this, while we're not quite sure what he's going to say, right, we should capture this is really vital. It's shameful. It's serious. It's something that causes Jacob's soul to shrink before God. So we're going to say, ooh, we want to be really cautious of this kind of thing as well. So this is his personal pain before the Lord. Uh, verses 7 and 8. Also it grieveth me that I must use such so much boldness of speech concerning you before your wives and your children, many of whose feelings are exceedingly tender and chaste and delicate before God, which thing is pleasing unto God. And it supposes, supposeth me that they have come up hither to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the word which healeth the wounded soul. So taking a step back, this is a sermon that, that Jacob is giving. Uh, some suppose that it's like a festival, and so everyone's coming in to hear, and they've probably been there a couple of days. And so they're, they're, it's probably something that commonly happens, right? It's like coming to general conference. We come a couple of times a year. We come near the temple, and we hear, and we're hoping that we're going to hear good news or something that is healing our wounded souls. And so this isn't just the men or uh, priesthood meeting. This is the women, the children, the families, and, and those who are also righteous and, and pure. And they're coming, hoping to hear this healing uh, word. And he's like, I am sorry. We got to send some bad news. So, um, so everyone's there. This is, this is entire families. And so he's letting us know. Uh, that this is going to be bad news. And sorry for those of you who are hoping for something better. Wherefore, it burdeneth my soul that I should be constrained. Oh, did I miss one? Hold on. Um, No, no, verse 9. Wherefore, it burdeneth my souls that I should be constrained because of the strict commandment which I have received from God to admonish you concerning your crimes, to enlarge the wounds of those who are already wounded, instead of consoling and healing their wounds, and those who have not been wounded, instead of feasting upon the pleasing word of God, have daggers placed to pierce their souls and wound their delicate minds. Oh, Joseph, uh, Jacob, as he just gets into this uh, speech, he, the only consolation he can give to the wives and the children, he acknowledges how emotionally harmful, how difficult this is going to be. And he, he, apologizes that uh they're going to open these wounds right that oh you can just hear the the emotion but notwithstanding the greatness of the task i must do according to the strict commandments of god and tell you concerning your wickedness and abominations in the presence of the pure of heart and the broken heart and under the glance of the piercing eye of almighty god wherefore i must tell you the truth according to the plainness of the word of god for behold, as I inquired of the Lord, thus cometh the word unto me, saying, Jacob, get thou up into the temple on the morrow and declare the word which I shall give thee to the people. Jacob has this long introduction, right? We've been hearing this whole thing from the introduction of the plates now to the introduction of the sermon. And he is giving us some uh, important things. First, he's very sensitive. He's a very sensitive man. He is someone that you hear it in his emotion. You hear it. He's sensitive to the emotions of the most sensitive, whether it's the younger, the pure in heart, um, the women and children. And he's very cautious of that. And he realizes that this is the Lord's command, but 
he is, it's the wounded, right? And he's going to also condemn and accuse. And he seems to be setting up his authority and making sure they all know this isn't just Jacob. This is coming from the Lord. This is going to be harsh. So we should feel this building. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, right? This is coming from the Lord. Jacob is the authority. It's going to be tough to hear. And it's going to be tough to hear from, for both sides, those that have committed these abominations and those that have been the recipient of these things. So here it is. What is he so worried about? What is this condemnation? Twelve Verses 12 and 13 in Jacob 2. And now behold, my brethren, this is the word which I declare unto you, that many of you have begun to search for gold and for silver and for all manner of precious ores in, this, in, the, land, in the which this land which is a land of promise unto you and your seed doth abound most plentifully. And the hand of providence hath smiled upon you most pleasingly that you have, you have obtained many riches because some of you obtained more abundantly than, than that of your brethren. You are lifted up in the pride of your hearts and you wear stiff necks and high heads because of the costliness of your apparel and persecute your brethren because they suppose, because ye suppose that ye are better than they. So here's the first of the big two problems that the society has already had. Did you catch it? It's the pride because of wealth. Pride because of wealth. Um, the second one we're going to hear whoredoms, but it's it's related to this. It's related to what's going to go on here. It isn't just that they're wealthy. It's that they're using it to set themselves apart from others, that they are becoming prideful. So notice that he talks about yeah, you've gathered gold and riches and it's become abundant and, and et cetera. And you're like, yep, it's, it's, it's money. He, that isn't the problem. It's the problem that he says here, you were lifted up in the pride of your hearts and you were stiff necks. So if you can kind of imagine um, a visual of that, if you sit with your neck stiff and high and your chin high, it's because you're proud and haughty and looking down on someone else. Right. And so it's that visualization of, um, of pride and snootiness, right? You wear stiff necks and high heads because of the costliness of your apparel and persecute your brethren because ye suppose that ye are better than they. So we may say it's because they went out and they found all this ore, this gold and silver made them rich. Um, if it was abundant, it wouldn't have made them rich. It, it would have become very devalued, right? It was that that the trade goods, that the things that they started to trade and get uh, wealth from, they started to wear. And that's typical of our society too. We tend to wear our wealth, right? Whether it's our homes, our clothing, our cars, um, the brands we wear, we wear them and we kind of say, look at me, right? Aren't I greater than those? I have more. I'm better than you. Oh, that might hit a little close to home, right? That's a tough one. He says, you are supposing you are better. Pride because of wealth. So it isn't just wealth that Jacob is condemning, but social inequality that accompanies wealth. That because we think we've, um, he says, because you've, uh, uh, where is it? Because some of you have obtained more abundantly than that of your brethren, you're lifted up in the pride of your hearts and you persecute your brethren because you suppose you're better than they. Oh, this is tough news, right? They have this perfect little society, this perfect little Nephite society that broke off in just one generation or two have already started to tear down 
um, and into different stratifications. And it's saying that pride, you can be wealthy, but just don't beat up those who aren't or don't create social inequalities. You aren't better, right? You aren't better. You just have more of something. And so he's very concerned about that. And that's the thing that's starting to break up the group already. Um, these visual displays, you start to get like the leisure elite class. Those don't maybe have to labor anymore physically with their, from their hands, right? They're not all farmers anymore. Now they're starting to separate into these societies. And the prophets are very, uh, prophets condemning that. And he gives us some advice, though. Well, what do we do then if we do have some kind of wealth? And he gives it in 18 and 19. He says, but before you seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after, after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches if ye seek them. And ye will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to liberate the captive, and to administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. So Jacob repeats, it isn't the wealth that's causing the problem, but it's social divisiveness is, that's the sin. It isn't accumulation. It's the superiority that that accumulation tends to give us. This sin in Nephite history kind of comes up over and over and over and over again, right? So Jacob's solution isn't to say, we'll just get rid of the wealth and, and you know, but is, is uh, dis distribution where needed? You can avoid the sin being attached to that by being generous, by not being superior, by helping the less fortunate. And so, uh, so it's fascinating, fascinating. I don't think he's saying let's all be socialists and just, you know, level out the playing field or anything like that. But he's saying that obtain first the kingdom of God. And if you've done, if you do that and you have this, this hope in Christ, then if you want riches, you can give it, but so that you can help others. Um, that might be hard to hear for us. Now he's going to turn the course here and he's remember that was the first thing and now he has a second condemnation so he has one set of condemnations and then he has a second set of condemnations and he's going to go through that now let's see what he has to say there uh second nephi 2 and now my brethren i have spoken unto you concerning pride and those of you which ha have afflicted your neighbor and persecuted him because ye were proud in your hearts of the things which god hath given you what say ye of it Ooh, it's kind of a rhetorical question, right? You're not really meant to answer it out loud, but you're like, ooh, what do you have to say about that? Verse 21, do you not suppose that such things are abominable unto him who createth all flesh? And the one being is as precious in his sight as the other, and all flesh is of the dust, and for the selfsame end hath he created them, that they should keep his commandments and glorify him forever. So he's saying, like, you're all the same. We all end up, we started with dust, we're going to end up the dust, and God made us all, and so he, he just, he's not impressed <laughs> by that. But the things that he loves are those who should keep his commandments and glorify him. And he transitions here in verse 22. And now I make an end of speaking unto you concerning this pride. And were it not that I must speak unto you concerning a grosser crime, my heart would rejoice exceedingly because of you. And the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon, his son. Um, these two problems are related, actually, and let me lay this out for us. 
Jacob starts to say, if that was the only thing, this pride because of wealth and this social stratification and this elitism um, and snootiness and snobbery and, and um, uh, pride, if it were only that, it, it wouldn't be so bad. But it's also leading to something else, which is bad news. It's related, though. And he calls them whoredoms. I'm not going to read through this whole thing verse by verse, but um, what seems to be happening here is that it isn't just polygamy that's happening. Um, because he talks about David and Solomon having many wives and concubines, which was abominable. We know that at one point, David and Solomon were righteous in having multiple wives, but there was something else that they did that was abominable. And that was that they took wives that were outside the, the, uh, the community. So they took foreign wives. They made political alliances that they traded their children and got wives for political gain. So they brought in these strangers. They brought in these other religions. And I'm sure most of these girls did not want that to happen. They wanted to stay in their own families, their own communities. They didn't want to be traded away. And yet that seems to be exactly what the Nephites are starting to do. They're starting to trade away their wives and their children for power and as an expression of wealth. So he, uh, Jacob talks specifically to some of the, the women that, you know, you, you'll be okay if you still obey the Lord. So they've been traded away and it's terrible. So as we get wealthy, it's a sign of wealth. If I can support a lot of wives, if I can support, um, and I can interchange with these relationships, these trade relationships, these political relationships, you become, you're gathering wealth and power. And so, that's what's most abominable. Yeah, polygamy is not the best in all cases, but in this case, that's not what's being condemned. What's being condemned is that they are trading away their family members for wealth and power and to show pride and trappings. Um, so he says, yes, there's some that it's okay, but that's not what the problem is. It's this foreign wives, uh, this background. Um, let me see. 26 through 27, I'm sorry, it's uh, Jacob 2, 26 through 28. Wherefore, I, the Lord, will not suffer that this people should do like unto them of old. Wherefore, my brethren, hear me and hearken to the word of the Lord. For there shall not be any man among you, save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. For I, the Lord God, delighteth in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination before me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. One more verse. Wherefore, if this people shall keep my commandments, say the Lord of hosts, or be cursed, or cursed be the land for their sakes. So Jacob began by declaring that these Nephite men are committing these whoredoms. And now he announces that the Lord is going to command monogamy to protect the women's chastity. If, if you're married, right, um, you're okay to have a relationship within marriage. So this is a complex problem. Um, and so he's focusing on the definition of marriage. He's saying if it's legal and religiously sanctioned, it isn't a whoredom, nor is the wife unchaste. But he's trying to say that it's a specific context that you're forbidding this polygamy, that you're trading these, these women out. And uh, that's bad news. And that's what he tries to uh, tell us in, in verse 30 and 31. For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. So I'll tell when it's okay to do that. But otherwise, quit doing that. Verse 31. For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow, and hear the mournings of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem, yea, and in all the lands of my people, because of the wickedness and abominations of their husbands. 
Um, and I will not suffer, saith the Lord of hosts, that the cries of the fair daughters of this people, which I have led out of the land of Jerusalem, shall come up unto me against the men of my people, saith the Lord of hosts. For they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their tenderness, save I shall visit them with a sore curse, even unto destruction, for they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. And now, behold, my brethren, ye know that these commandments were given unto our father Lehi, wherefore ye have known them before, and ye have come under great condemnation, for ye have done these things which ye ought not to have done. So verse 33 is talking about this women's captivity, right? Why would marriage be seen as captivity? Why would uh, God be declaring this injunction against polygamy to protect the women? Well, I think it's kind of what we talked about, this accumulation of wealth, this accompanying um, trade with other villages and other um, uh, political alliances. It becomes this norm for them to swap, right? They're just trading away their, their daughters and their wives for political gain and for, for uh, wealth. And that is what the Lord finds so terrible, so terrible. And I think we would find that terrible too. So, okay, so... There we have it. Second, uh, Jacob 2. I always say second Nephi. Jacob 2. All right, brothers and sisters. I think that wraps us up. Now, remember that there is hope. And the Lord reminds us to return to that hope in Christ, to return to belief in the Lord and stay away from pride, pride in wealth. And pride in then becomes even worse with these, these terrible uh, events that are happening in the Nephite culture. All right. That's second Nephi 2. Catch you next time.